0: day. That's awesome. Uh, thank you for that. Well, guys, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter uh, 15. Mark chapter 15. You know our missionaries have been gone a little over a year for their first stint, but uh, I can tell you we've been in the same Gospel of Mark since you left. And uh, Aaron and and, and uh, uh, Luke, I think we uh, were started that when you guys joined the church. I think that's how long this has been. So Mark chapter 15. This morning, and uh, as you're turning there, I especially want to welcome those who w- uh, watch us on Facebook. So glad to have you with us. Uh, I'm going to start saying this more regularly. This is not intended for anyone except for all of us, but uh, if you are able to get to a church, thank you for coming today. If you're, if you're otherwise healthy and able to, if your kids aren't sick, all those things. We know that uh, as a brother texted me last night, a, a good pastor friend on Facebook said, saying, quote, I need Jesus, but not the church, is to say, quote, I need Jesus, but not everything Jesus says that I need. And I think that's a good word that uh, we remember, that this is the body that gathers, that as we talk about our missionaries who are here this morning, uh, that they gather with the same Lord Jesus all around the world. Uh, you always say, man, I'm going to a foreign country. If you're a Christian and you find other believers, you're never in a foreign country, are you? Because you're always around people who are worshiping the same Christ. So whether you're unable to come on Facebook, whether you're here in person or you're somewhere else, thank you for worshiping the one true God given to us in Jesus Christ as we gather together. Well, we are in Mark chapter 15, and uh, there's a story about J. Vernon McGee, and Tori will put his, uh, some of y'all know J. Vernon McGee, he's long since passed, it's been almost 30 years. Anyone know this name? Some of y'all? Radio Bible preacher, he's up early in the morning, if you get to hear him, he's got a good southern drawl to him, and uh, he, he preached through the Bible many years ago, it's on radio... But one time, a lady wrote him and said, Dr. McGee, our preacher said that on Easter Sunday, Jesus swooned. He, he wasn't dead on the cross, and the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think, Dr. McGee? And writing back, and he read this on the air, Dr. McGee said, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 times, nail him to a cross, hanging him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, Put him in an airless tomb for three days, and let's see if you still have a preacher after that time. All right, Dr. McGee for the win, right? So, yeah, it works. But there are people around today that Jesus say that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. Muslims being one of them, our our Muslim friends will tell you that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. That they put Judas or perhaps even one of the other disciples up there and snuck Jesus away somehow. But the Gospels are clear on one thing: all four of them is that Jesus did actually die. It's not a myth. It's not a historical uh, imagination that every one of these gospel writers stood at the foot of the cross or knew someone who did, and they recorded it at the cost of their own life to get this down. In fact, writing about the gospel in those times was very dangerous. And it was a public event carried out on a routine day of the year alongside a main road. So how could Jesus not have died? In fact, it was witnessed by numerous people. So the question to us today is not necessarily as we continue on, did Jesus actually die? But what does it mean that he died? And you know some of this. We sang this. Brother, thank you for leading us in those songs. First Corinthians one eighteen reminds us, and you'll see this on the screen, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that is the cross, isn't it? is that some say he died as an example. Some say Jesus just died as the greatest example that could ever be. And there's trouble there. Because if Jesus is just an example, we are still in our sins. Some say that Jesus died just as a good moral person. Because, you know, you just want to go hang yourself on a cross because you're a good moral person. But the Bible is clear. As Jesus died, he accomplished something for the death of value for all who will put their trust in him. He died so that you may live, that I may live, that we may live together. And we should never grow weary of this. The veil was torn. Everything that happened on this fateful day we will study was exactly how God wanted it to be. Not only did he die, but what did he accomplish? What did the cross provide? What did his death obtain, and what did the cross acquire? And the bigger question for you is, is this just old hat for you? Been there, done that. Eh, this is, this, I can check out now because I don't need to worry about this. Friends, this is the greatest message we have. We carry this wherever we go. The message in heaven won't be, how much is it going to cost to fix that building over there? Or how? what color of paint are we going to put in this sanctuary? Those are great decisions, aren't they? But the greatest thing you will have in heaven is that Jesus is your Lord, and He is who we're here to worship. Today's big idea, the thesis, is very simple. It's that we are saved from God, by God, and for God. From His wrath, by His grace, for His glory. And friends, on that cross, we can never begin to comprehend not only the physical pain, that's a very small part, but the pain that Jesus felt for a moment, a season, a time of a lapse of time, that his father withdrew from his presence. What does that mean, that he withdrew from his presence? We're going to see that this morning, that the sun got dark, the veil was torn, the father turned his face away, the dead were raised to life. But what does this mean? What does this mean for you? What does this mean for our church? And I promise you we are going to get through this, but I want to look at this in seven short ways today. I want you to see the complete darkness, the curse cry, the cruel mockery, the mission, the curtain torn, the centurion saved, and the committed few. All this because one man actually died. All this so that men and women would go around the world to share the gospel. What does this mean? It's all about Jesus. We're here to look at him on the cross, his mission being fulfilled, but now the time of execution is upon us. If you're able to stand for God's glory and the reading of his word, if you can, if you're able, would you do so? We're going to start in verse 32, and we are going to make our way down. Uh, uh, picking up to verse uh, about 42 or so, 41. This is what the scripture says. It says, and they are mocking him, let the Christ, the king of Israel, come down and now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour, that's about noon, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour or about 3 p.m. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabakhthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come down to take him or take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain, verse 38, Of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood facing saw in that in this way he breathed his last, he said, "Truly this man was the son of God." And verse forty, there were also some women looking from a distance, among them who were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were many other women who came up with him to jerusalem friends i've said this the last three weeks this is very familiar territory for us we know the story we know how it ends we know what it looks like may we be encouraged today to be reminded of what it accomplished on the cross from god by god for god is what he did for us We pray with me as we start this morning Father, as we come before you, as we celebrate missionaries, Lord, and just encouraged by their presence, Father, would you just be lifted high? Thank you so much, Lord, that we have a a message to go. This isn't some Amway top-down sales thing. This isn't some cold call. Father, this is the greatest news that we have. This is the news that the God who we are far off from has come down to us that we can be near to him only through his blood. Father, thank you for that. Lord, we lift up our uh, other sister and brother missionaries who are serving in Africa right now, Father, uh, just for a short-term trip. Father, may this church, may Tower View Baptist Church, always be known as a church that takes seriously the gospel, both locally, both nationally and internationally, partnering with all those who are of like faith. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Well the first thing I want you to see these truths about God's word is I want you to see the complete darkness the complete darkness and of course you see that in verse 33 and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole of the land. Now I know many of you feel the way we do we put our kids to bed usually about 6:30 and it takes an hour to get the wiggles out you know how this goes. And uh, by 7.30 last night, it was almost pitch black. I mean, it felt dark already as we get closer to that great time called winter and losing an hour and all that, or gaining an hour and all that stuff. But when this happened, when the complete darkness happened, it was over the whole land. We know that from high noon it was at the height of the day, yet at the height of the day it was complete dark. And it was dark until the ninth hour, till 3 p.m., That word fell there means suddenly. It's not a gradual darkness. It just got dark. And you've been around the Midwest, most of y'all, long enough to know that sometimes when those storms just roll in, it just goes from sunny to just dark quickly. Imagine even darker than that. This is what it's trying to convey. Because what was happening is a supernatural miracle of God that brought it about. The sun was dimmed, and the black affected the whole land. That word land there, means it means earth. It means the whole earth, or at least that's one thought. If it was the sun itself, then the darkness would envelop not just the area, but the whole earth. We don't know for sure, but the word is the same. And this divides the time of the cross. Last week, we looked at the, 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 the 9 a.m. to noon time. From 9 a.m. to noon, the scribes hurled abuse at Jesus. They mocked him. The thieves entered. One was saved on the, on the right or the left. And the words of the cross hung around. But now, but now, from noon to three, total darkness. Turn off the lights. It's like going to Mammoth Cave. You ever been there in Kentucky before? Uh, going to Mammoth Cave and just going down in the depths. And they take you to a place and they say, okay, turn off your lights. I always get scared every time I do that because it is pitch black. It was dark. We don't know if it was pitch black dark. But there's no record of anything from noon until three. I want you to catch that. From noon until 3 in the Scriptures, we see nothing at all recorded by Jesus or by anybody else. Why? So why the darkness? Well, from Scripture, we know darkness comes in two ways. It comes when people walk in the darkness. First John says we don't practice the truth. John 3.19 says that men love the darkness because their deeds were evil. When not only is darkness referring to sin, but also judgment. We'll break those down in just a second. But sin is under judgment. As Jesus hangs on that cross, judgment is coming down upon the sin that we have brought to Christ himself. And here's a spoiler alert, and you've already seen it on the screen. Darkness does not win. Guys, that should get you very excited. Because as you look around this world and you see dark things and dark people uh, as far as behavior against God, you should be reminded that we've read the book. And guess what? We win. You don't have to have a back to the future predicting the the manual of what will happen kind of thing. Christ has already said it isn't that it's going to happen. We win the game. It's solidly over. Why do we have lack of confidence when it comes to problems in our lives? We win, guys. We win. And so the shadow is small and a passing thing, and he is our light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Not only at the end of the tunnel, but during the tunnel. He lights it up. But I want to look quickly at these two factors of the darkness that cause this darkness to come. The first one, and Toriel put it up, is the sin. And the sin is at noon, our sins were being transferred. If you want to throw, and I don't mean in any crass or religious way, if you want to throw a modern term, our sins were being downloaded to Jesus Christ. They were being transferred over to him. And it was a hard wire. It was going straight on him. And the speed was such speed that it was, it was so much that no one else did anything because of that darkness. In that moment, our sins were transferred. He who knew no sin became sin for us. First Peter 2.24, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. The Old Testament, you remember the story, don't you, of the scapegoat? The priest would sacrifice a lamb, but they would save one lamb, wouldn't they? And it was called the scapegoat. Now, for many of you, if you're a Chiefs fan, you still think that Lynn Elliott was the scapegoat for why we didn't win the Super Bowl in 1997. Or fill in your blank sports reference. It's not what we're talking about. Or the guy for the Chicago Cubs in 2003 who who messed up the game and they didn't win the the World Series. This is much greater than that. They had a lamb that was not sacrificed that the priest basically said, hey, get out of here, buddy, and sent him off in the woods. Why did they do that to that goat, the scapegoat? Because it was symbolic of the moment that we now have with Christ. The scapegoat would go free, just like at Jesus, the cross, the Lamb of God, would take away the sins of the world. The priest would say, Get out of here. You're symbolically taking the sins of the people. So Christ on the cross took our sins. Friends, he died for us, he died. And he bore the sin of many. And in those three hours, our sins were lifted on, off of us and placed on Jesus himself. As darkness covered the land, a spiritual darkness enveloped the soul of Jesus Christ. As he was taking our sins to himself, he was carrying them far away from us. First John 3, 5 says he takes away sins. Matthew one 21, you're going to name this baby Jesus for he what? He will save his people from their sins. And our sins are either on us or they are on Jesus Christ. You're a Christian here today, praise God, it is finished, amen? It's done. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But not only our sins, and Tori will throw this up, the darkness considers also judgment. And friends, I want to say again, and we've preached through this, been here almost five years, we've mentioned this a lot, but I just want to remind you that that as we preach through this, this is not often taught in a lot of churches. We are not better for doing that, we're just trying to be faithful to Scripture, but this is the moment that Jesus, upon the cross, satisfied the wrath of God towards all who are satisfied in him. That on that cross, Jesus laid, was laid with all the wrath, the vengeance, the righteous indignation, anger of God the Father for that sin in our place. All those in H-E double hockey sticks get this. All those in hell understand this. They have the wrath of God on them at all times. Please do not buy in, especially this time of year. Uh, Josh and Julie, we laugh about this all the time. Josh and Julie, who joined a couple weeks ago, came last year and we preached through the 15 realities of hell. And that was quite a sermon anyway, and you guys stuck with us. Thank you. But on that sermon, we noted that in hell, God is not absent. To be in hell is not to be away from the presence of God. To be in hell is to be under the wrath, the presence of God. So those in hell get a little taste of what Jesus got here on the cross, that Jesus suffered in full for our sins, that if we went to hell, we would feel that same wrath coming on us all the time. Hebrews 2 says that every transgression and disobedience must receive a just penalty. And in the Old Testament, you remember that old phrase that Moses said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Boy, I wish that worked with my siblings under my parents back in the day, but that isn't how justice works. On the cross, Jesus did not die for an anonymous people, but rather for those, Ephesians 1, Romans 9, fill in the blank, tells us that he called his elect, those who would come to him. And every sin was placed on him. He, not just bore, he didn't just bear our sin, he bore God's judgment for our sin. Friends, I want to remind you that churches hate to preach this. We have preached the love of God so much that the fiery, fires of hell have become like the water is in the pool right now, if you still got a pool. It's nice and cold. Friends, we need both. We need to emphasize that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, but we also need to emphasize that Jesus took the wrath of God, and it's okay to say that. It's not divine child abuse. It's not old, fuddy-duddy stuff. This is what Jesus came to do, didn't he? Because of our sin, because of our judgment. You remember what Jesus prayed in the garden, don't you remove this cup from me? Do you remember what that cup was? That cup was the wrath of God. It wasn't a physical cup. It wasn't a literal cup. It represents the cup of God's wrath coming down. Friends, if we ever preach a gospel without the wrath of God, we don't have a gospel to preach. If God cannot judge sin just as he loves those who have sinned against him, then we don't have a Jesus of the Bible. It's very definite and very clear. We have to be ready to go to bat for this. On that cross, and this is probably our longest point, On that cross, he took all these things. Friends, you can never doubt the love of God for your soul because he gave his all for you. He refused the wine offered to him and he drank down the bitter dregs of the uh, wrath of God and not one drop is left. Forgive us, Lord, if we ever believe that Jesus does not save us to the uttermost. He does. You are as saved today as you were at the time you got saved. That's awesome. I love that. Because there are days I don't feel saved. I don't know about you. There are days I go through and just being me and being stupid me, and I think, golly, how in the world can I claim to be a Christian? But a great reminder that God loved us so much, he gave this for us. Amen. Let's go to the second point. Not only the the, the darkness, and that is the longest point of the bunch, but the cursed city. Look back at verse uh, uh, 34. And at the ninth hour, so during this darkness for three hours, nothing recorded. The wrath of God comes down. He's bearing our sin. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out with a loud voice. It's amazing if you think about it. Jesus has no strength left, yet he has the strength to yell out, Father, why are you abandoning me? My God, literally in Hebrew, Daddy, why have you done this to me? This cry, again, is not, as some theologians today would say, this is not divine child abuse, guys. Jesus knew what he signed up for. This has always been the mission. But he first gives us, and Tori will throw this up, a biblical cry. He cries out what Brother Nelson read earlier. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, now let's, the argument here is that Jesus is God. This would be obvious, but but as a man, Jesus had to learn the Scriptures, did he not? You remember that in Luke 2 where he was learning at age 12 in the temple and his parents couldn't find him? He's aware he is the Christ and he is fulfilling Scripture. He's crying out a biblical cry. Look, when you're down in the depths, the best thing you can do is go back to Scripture and pray the prayers that are in the Bible not some formula prayer, not some r- rub the beads and pray the rose. Guys, get back to the scripture and pray the prayers that are in the scripture. Watch your life change. But he gives a passionate cry. Did you notice that? He said, my God, twice. My God, my God. It shows the intensity. The my there is a trust and it's a trust in God. He won't let go of his father. He's abiding in trust. Remember, Uh, that that Jesus being fully man here is dying the death. And there's not some weird separation in the Trinity. We believe in one God, don't we? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All one, all co-equal, all co-eternal. Don't break that fellowship. But what he's crying here is not, Father, I didn't know this was going to happen. Why did I sign up for this gig? Why did I get the short end of the stick? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the same thing that he's been saying the whole time. Lord, I knew this was going to be bad, but Lord, where are you? But he thirdly gives a perplexing cry. Did you see that? Let's take some understanding. But here he says, why have you forsaken me? God the Father, in a sense, I'm going to put this in air quotes, right? Uh, air quotes here. He turned his back on his son. Not literally. God the Father didn't do one of these woo things. It's not what happened. That is false. That's heresy. That gets you down the wrong road. What it does mean, though, is that in this, the Father and the humanity of Christ, the man's the human side of Christ, as he became sin for us, the Father, who's holy, can have no fellowship with sin, so he abandons his Son to die on the cross in his humanity with his divinity all in tow. Confused yet? Friends, here's what you need to know. When Jesus died on that cross, God did not die. God, in His divinity, always lived on. But in His humanity, God the Father turned His back because He saw His Son now as, as the only bearer of our sin, and He could not look on it. That's what it is. This is it, Missing that one thing gets you into some weird theology that's really not true. Be careful with this. Friends, we can't comprehend what it really means, but how can we ever look at the cross any differently? How can we ever look at the cross and say, boy, I'm just, I'm just the same? Friends, it changes us. He died on that cross, and he was even aware uh, at this point of the nail and thorns, do you think? I don't know. But I think he's more aware of the fact that his father turned his back in fulfillment of the plan. So how can we ever have anything else overtake us except thankfulness for what God has done for us? Church, let me say a word for us again, that may we never lose focus of this. May we never lose focus when you disagree with another brother or sister in this church about something that you may be passionate about, may even be biblical about. Come back to the cross. If there's something in your marriage that you're struggling with that you can't seem to get over, may you remember that Christ took it all at the cross. When your kids have grown and they go wayward from the Lord, may you remember that God can do more abundantly, far more than you can ask or think. Just look at the cross, and he did. Third thing is this, not only the the darkness and the cry, but I also want you to see the mockery. Look back at verses 35 and 36. 35 and 36. And he cried out, and some of the bystanders hearing said, Behold, he's calling to Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with a sour wine, a reed, and gave it to him, saying, Wait, let's see whether he will come down. Some of the bystanders heard it. The people walking by... It was a traffic jam at Golgotha. If you can imagine, I'm trying to think of, we don't live in the main city, but you can imagine going to the Power and Light District of Kansas City and having a crucifixion during the Big 12 championship basketball time in March where they block off all the roads and people are just walking by. Jesus is crying out, and they think he's crying out for Elijah. What in the world does that mean? Well, they believe that Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, would introduce the Messiah. What they missed is, is that John the Baptist came to fulfill that, didn't he? And John the Baptist came, and he was belittled and beheaded. And so as they come up to him, they think, oh, he's crying out for Elijah. That's mockery. He's not. He's crying out to his father because of becoming a sin, curse for us, and absorbing the wrath of God. Friend, I want to remind you that even in these simple things, if you ever find yourself mistreated, misunderstood, and mocked as a Christian, take heart, for so they did with Christ. To the point at which, you see there in verse 36, that they lifted up a sponge to him. He said, I thirst. And they gave him sour wine. Sour wine. Basically, anything to, to, to numb the pain. And friends, remember, Jesus doesn't care about the pain physically. He cares about the pain spiritually. So often, when we get in things with the cross, we get into the physical things that happened to Jesus. Now, was it bad? Oh, golly, yeah. Yeah. I cry if I get like a little cut on my finger. I cannot imagine how much pain it was to experience the cross. Guys, the physical pain, it's just 1% of everything that's happening right now. The other 99% is what Jesus is taking on. The people don't understand him. His disciples have run away. There's a committed few, but really the rest of them are all gone. His father has turned his back on him, and yet here he is at the very end. They try and lift it up to him. And he says in John 19, I thirst, and they put it on there. But even till the end, he knows there's no comfort to be had. There's no comfort to be had in the hands of sinners. But if you're a Christian today, I want you to be reminded that if you're a Christian, you are going to be mistreated, you are going to be misunderstood, and you are going to be mocked. Take heart. Hold still. Keep the course. Your Savior did until the very end. Number four. The completed mission. I want you to see this in verse 37. Now, your Bible does not have that famous phrase, it is finished, but look at verse 37. So he cries out, they give him the wine. Uh, Mark records this very quickly. He says, And Jesus uttered a loud cry. What was that loud cry? Do you remember? It is, I'm finished. It's done. It's a transaction. But I want to remind you as a point of encouragement to where you can throw this up. Upon the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. But he didn't say, I am finished. He didn't leave it there. He busted out of the grave three days later. And we celebrate that, don't we? Friends, today is Resurrection Sunday. Do you know it's Easter all over again? Aren't you happy? Where's your Easter dresses? Come on, guys. Where's your pastels? Seriously, you are here today because Jesus lives forever. That's the message we have. He's not a victim. Jesus is not a victim. He's he's not a victim of a bad political system and corrupt religious leaders. He is, in a sense, but he's a victor over all that. He paid the price for our salvation. Jesus is fully aware, isn't he, that until the end, he had to do this to purchase our salvation. Luke records that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The life was taken, but he gave his life on the cross and John ten eighteen reminds us that he lays it down, and he can raise it up or lay it down as his Father's wills. Jesus is in complete control. Guys, let me just step aside and say, it bears repeating that on that cross, Jesus did not say you have to be a good person plus him to get to heaven. You don't have to go through classes and baptisms and church membership classes to get to heaven. Those are things that are good and commanded by Scripture, especially baptism, Lord's Supper, but you are not saved because you come to church. You are not saved because you do religious things. Can I say that here? If you feel guilty because you are not able to be the Christian you want to be, God still loves you anyway, right? That better be good news for you because here it is. So many people say, well, yeah, Jesus said it's finished, but but I have to bring something to the table. No, you don't. Friend, this is why we don't believe that a priest saves us, a shaman, a pastor. We believe that Jesus completed it. It's done. I remember a story several years ago. We were down in Westport, our first night in Westport Evangelism, October 2005. Uh, we were excited as can be. That's the, I keep saying this. That's the one area my mama never said to go, and here I am. But I'm going for Jesus, so it's okay to go to Westport Bar Section, right? That, that's okay when you put G. But I remember in an alley behind Kelly's Bar, and at that time it was the uh, the, the Karma Bar right there at uh, West Westport Road and Penn. There was a young man. Sh- it's been a while since I've shared this. There was a young man drunk as a skunk, but he wanted to talk to us. He said, "You know what? I know everything you're going to tell me." All right, okay, what do you got? said, my daddy's a preacher down by Columbia, Missouri. And he's been telling me for years that I need to really get saved. But I'm going to tell you, man, I got saved in a vacation Bible school years ago. I prayed that prayer. I walked that aisle. Jesus loves me. I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want with my life. It doesn't matter. That's why I'm here tonight. Jesus still loves me. We had contact with that man for several weeks. We never got in contact with his parents. But, friends, that is not the message of Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished, he means that your life is going to be radically transformed to the point where he's not an, a get out of hell excuse card. He's not a license to sin. He's your savior and he gave his life for you. That's what it is. You pray for that young man. That's been 14 years ago. I have no idea what had happened to that guy. But one thing I know is that so many people say, well, I got a little bit of Jesus. Now I can do whatever I want. That's just like saying, I got a credit card, and I can go use it up, all I want to use it up. Because you know what? That's just, I, I got a credit line of $40,000. I can go do whatever I want with that. Yeah, tell me how that works out for you when they throw you in jail when you can't pay it back. Right? Friends, Jesus isn't a credit card that you deduct things from. Jesus said, it's done. It's paid in full. And that's all we need to know. Amen. And that's what he told us. Number five. Not only this, but he told us here, I want you to see the, the curtain torn. Verse 38, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What does this mean? This was a large woven curtain. It separated the, the high priest who went in once a year from uh, the, the people, and he was chosen to go in there once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And it was set up to show that God is separated from holy men and God is not accessible, but when Jesus died at the exact same moment, the curtain was torn. I would have loved to have had a GoPro camera on that thing at that point or a, or a ring telephone doorbell thing. What a, what a sight that would have been just for them, whoever is in that part of the temple at that point, just the shock of it all. And when Jesus died at three in the afternoon, it was the same time the priest would have gone to make a sacrifice, an offering. At the same time he dies, the invisible hand of God tears it in two. We have access to God for the first time. Friends, that's why we don't have a confessional booth up here. You don't need to confess to me necessarily. There there may be things between you and me that we need to settle, sure, but that's why we don't have a confessional because you don't need to confess to me. You need to confess to Jesus Christ because the curtain has been torn. Friends, it's torn in two. Hebrews tells us that we have a sure and steadfast hope, the anchor of our soul, where Jesus has gone before as the forerunner on our behalf. Hebrews 9 tells us the Old Testament was just a shadow, but by His blood, We've come to know the truth. What does this teach us quickly? That Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was not in vain, but that's why we don't have a, you know, we've been talking about our building and things we need to update, and we're getting there. Thank you, Pastor Nelson, for leading that that big team of yours. That's why we don't have a farm out back, right? We don't have sheep and goats out back. That would be a little weird and probably against city code. That's why we don't walk a sheep up the aisle every week, as facetious as this is, and say, oh, hey, woo, let's, let's take him down, because Jesus did that perfectly. When that veil was torn, not only was that done, but Jesus offers himself as the perfect and final sacrifice once for all. Boy, I'd love to shower once for all. Boy, I'd love to pay one water bill, electric bill, mortgage bill once for all, wouldn't you? Boy, I'd love to exercise once for all and eat all the Twinkies I could eat for once. Well, not for all, but once, twice, three times, four times, five times. Wouldn't you? Friends, how much more salvation-wise can we look up and say, Lord, once for all, it's done. It's done. And thirdly, very practically for you, all who believe in Him can now approach Him. Friend, you don't need a special religious person to pray to God. You can go to God yourself. The scripture says, Hebrews 13, 7, you're to obey your leaders. You're to, you're, to, you're to pray for us as we're to serve you. That weird relationship as it works biblically by God's grace. But at the same time, you don't come through us. Christ is enough. Pray to Christ. Friends, this is why I'm, you may think I'm picking on a certain group of people. And maybe I am. But friends, this is why we don't pray to saints who are dead. This is why I remember in, in Guadalajara, several years ago in the summer of 2004 studying abroad to fulfill that uh, religious or uh, language requirement at William Jewell College. Three months instead of two years I went to Guadalajara, Mexico and I remember watching people crawling on their knees for a quarter mile up the stony 15th century road to get up, to kiss the body, the casket of the body of dead people so their prayers might be heard. Friend, you don't need a dead person to pray for you. You have an alive person. His name is Jesus. He's come, he's conquered, and he's above all. Pray to him. He's enough. He's enough. Verse 39 two quick points here verse 39 don't you love this and the when the centurion remember he had a group jesus did a four soldiers and the centurion the leader who were walking with him nailing him hoisting him to the cross that guy said standing facing him said as he breathed his last truly this must have been the son of god wow you remember we talked about a couple weeks ago that uh, Simon, the Cyrene, the man who helped Jesus carry the cross, that we find in Romans 16, that his sons came to know Jesus. Jesus' death is changing people's lives, even at the very end of things. And Jesus reminds us that he is a, he, he's a Savior of nobodies. You can throw go ahead and throw that up there, Miss Tory. He's a savior of nobodies. He he never saves the somebodies until they confess there are nobody. This centurion was proud. He was the best of the best. He was a high-ranking army dude. But yet he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Friends, this is what all of us do when we come to Jesus. We confess with our mouth, Romans 10:9, that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and then we are saved. This man made a confession of faith right at the cross. Now, what happened to him? We have no idea. But he was directly accountable to Pilate. Will you look down at verse 44? Look down at verse 44. Get your tablet out, your Bible out, whatever you got. Just quickly look down at verse 44. And summoning the centurion, Pilate, and summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. So this man just says out in front of everyone to hear, truly this man was the son of God. And then he goes before Pilate, his first test of faith. And he says, yes, he died. What a changed life this man must have had. We don't know what happened to him. We look forward to glory someday of learning that. But here's the great confession. All of us must confess this to to the world, that he is the son of God. Final thing. Did you see those committed few? Guys, shame on us, ladies. Congratulations, you once again showed up, the men of the world. Look back at verse 41, 40 and 41, these truths of the cross. It says, there were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the the mother of James, the the younger, and Joseph, and Salome. And, And I'll stop there. We don't have time to unpack all these connections But one thing we do know and we do have is that these women were with him. John was there. We know from the other Gospels, John was there. You remember that scene? Jesus says to to John, Behold your mother. And he says that to his mother Mary. And he says to John, Behold your son, in, in order for John to take care of her. But what we know is that these women were looking on. From a distance, they followed him. They were hungry for the word. They wanted to make sure they were ready to go. Ladies, please hear me clearly. God has set up for us in Scripture for men to lead in areas of the church that men are called to lead in, especially pastorally. But ladies, you are not second-class citizens. The first people at the tomb were who? Were women. The first people hanging out at the cross were who? Were women. All the other, all the big burly fishermen were running away. Ladies, you do not have to be dumb, barefoot, and pregnant all the time. Okay? Because guess what? God has often made you smarter. Yes. Yes. That got you awake, didn't it? It sure did. Guess what, ladies? Because you're not dumb, barefoot, and pregnant all the time. You know why? Because God has uniquely created you to serve wherever he's called you to serve. And you know what, ladies? You can know as much theology or more than some of these men And we need you in this church, ladies. You are welcomed. You are valued. You are needed in this church. Do you hear me clearly? Ladies, what a great committed few it was. This church may go down to whatever it goes down to, but I guarantee you often it is the ladies that hold it up. It is the ladies that stick it out. So many of you ladies, I'm looking out over the crowd, have been in this church for decades decades and you have been the faithful backbone and men you have to please don't this is a bash on it's not it's not Mother's Day where we bash on men and Father's Day where we bash on them again right but as <laughs> you know that happens but in all seriousness ladies thank you for your faithfulness you see in here all stripes of people you have people who've been walking as Jews for years you have Mary Magdalene we know from other sources as you know well was a prostitute Yet they all serve Jesus. Ladies, you may have a husband in your life that wants nothing to do with Jesus. Don't let that deter you from knowing Jesus. Husbands, you may not have a wife who doesn't want to know Jesus. Would you lovingly, patiently, humbly, boldly, all those things, lead her to the cross even when she doesn't want to? But I want to remind you, we'll end with this. Tori, if you want to throw this up, God has always worked through a small remnant and He desires quality, not quantity, Depth and not breath. Friends, they didn't have much, but they had Christ, and that's all that mattered. As Jesus bore our sin and took our judgment, as He did all those things, there were a committed few. As we go through this culture, there's going to be a committed few. We need men, we need women, we need young, we need old. We need all these folks together to serve Jesus Christ. I love this church because we seek to do that all the time, don't we? May God be glorified. Let's close in prayer. And uh, we'll ask our team to come up and lead us as we close out today father as we come before you we are grateful that you are god and that you are the savior of the world father we are grateful that there is nothing that changes you father as we zip through seven quick points this morning probably two sermons in one to be honest father we're reminded that you are the god of all that, Father, in this passage, we see not only your love, we see your wrath being poured out, extinguished on the cross. We see your Son living out the, the mission, the sovereign plan, Father, that, that as, as the three-in-one trinity was, was set forth before the time and ages began. Father, we see and hear the response of people uh, walking alongside and, and, and mocking. We, we see the response of people coming to Jesus we see the response, Lord, of, of a committed few hanging on. We see the response of uh, physical objects like that, tur- that, that curtain veil being torn. And it all reminds us that it's only, Father, because of the perfect, sinless Son, your, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we just say thank you. Thank you for the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension. And, Father, oh, we look forward to the day, whether you call us home or you come back, the coming again. Lord, we win, not because we were worthy, but because your son was worthy and bought that price that we deserve and the wrath we deserve. Father, thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother. Let me stand and sing about grace, grace, God's grace.